This podcast is brought to you by Voice of Vets. Voice of Vets. Hear it. Feel it. Feel it. Feel it. Feel it. And you are listening to the COVID Report. I am your host, Siposi Lengosa Zanamuli. And today on the COVID Report, we look at education and how the education sector in higher levels has been impacted by the pandemic and the effect it could possibly have on the mental health of students. And to further this conversation, we are joined by Dr. Ramnik Aluwali, CEO of Higher Health, speaking on mental health and the regulations Higher Health have implemented in all institutions of higher learning to combat what the pandemic might see. Thank you so much, Dr. Ramnik, for joining us. And can we maybe start with the past week you have visited universities and colleges, and what have your observations been of these facilities, and are they prepared to reopen? Uh, you're absolutely right. From the very first day of the lockdown, um, which was um, in middle of March or end of March, um, one thing we knew exactly was when the global data from the world started coming in, um, what it means to the PSET system, which is the entire post-school education and training system, uh, which means um, uh, in, in respect to COVID-19. Uh, and there were two big um, factors that the post-school education training had to put in parallel with each other. And one was hashtag save lives, but on the other side, there was hashtag save the academic year. Now both had to run in parallel. Uh, as my task, uh, being the CEO of higher health, was to entirely look towards the hashtag save lives. Now, for the interest of your listeners, um, I would li- also like to inform them that the PSET system, uh, people think it's universities or TVET colleges, but I want to let you know that we've got five subsectors in the same PSET system. The one is the universities, and you all know about the WITS, the UCT, the Zululand, the Winda. We've got 300 campuses in the TVET colleges alone. And most of these TVET colleges are in rural areas or in informal settlements. Then we've got another subsector called the CET system, which is called Community Education Training Colleges. And one of the most underprivileged South Africans um, entered that system to get skills, to get employments, to become the next generation of labor. We've got 1,800 centers across this country that are just in the CET sector. Then we have got skill-based learning centers, uh, the work-based learning, internship program, the CETAs, um, the nursing colleges, the skill-based colleges, police academies. And then we also have what we call it as private higher education institutions. In fact, 18% of our student community come from the private sector alone. So that builds a a population of about 2.5 million young people across the country um, that we're talking about hashtag saving lives. And we also have to now put systems where thousands of students come in into our campuses. So how do we do that? And that's where we started building with the help of NICD and the Department of Health on building what we call it as a PSET guideline, like a detailed guidelines that through global scientific data, what's the right way to approach every system? Now, when I say, how do we approach? Uh, and, and parallelly from the guidelines started building protocols. So when I talk about protocols and algorithms that comes from guidelines, I'm talking about every corner of the disease in the post-school education training system. Guidelines on on screening, 
guidelines on testing, guidelines on quarantine facilities, guidelines on accommodation, guidelines on cleaning, protocols if somebody becomes positive in a campus, what protocol of disinfection will start then? Because that's a totally different cleaning mechanism that one has to follow. Um, what is a sick bay? How do we develop a sick bay? Um, what is the right linkage to care? Um, how does isolation will work? How do we put accommodation and uh, private accommodation and in campus residence programs towards you know, COVID-19, both in terms of isolation, quarantine, and normal services? How does the classroom will look like? Uh, whether we, 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 we're going to be working on a different modality where lecturers will move rotate around, but students will stay back in the same lecture hall, confined to the same seat. How does physical distancing in a lecture hall look like? How does routine cleaning in a cafeteria, in, an, in a student affairs, in the student offices work like? And that all had to be put in place. And these were algorithms one after the other. WHO and United Nations in the world also informed us that um, the mental health uh, uh, will become a very big epidemic. There's no doubt. It was already a very big epidemic in post-school education. Higher health, one of the biggest pillars is to work on mental health. But we clearly knew that this epidemic will have a very multi-dimensional impact on various factors. And among them, mental health will definitely take a big knock. Then we started building another protocol on mental health and substance abuse. Because we knew if we don't control that from the beginning, from with our student community and staff community, um, we, we're going to end up in a much serious issue. So I think what systems, infrastructure, protocol, and algorithm needs to be put for psychosocial and substance abuse parameters. So I think that work took time. But not after that, the implementation part comes. The implementation part is how do we develop, and I've told you 1,800 CET centers, 300 campuses. Universities alone have about 100 plus campuses countrywide. Similarly, skill-based centers, private higher education institutions. The aim was we first train and develop COVID-19 task teams at every institutional level. Uh, these are decision-making bodies. Decision-making by their respective CEOs. Decision-making by their um, principals. Uh, deputy principals, deputy vice chancellors, financial heads, um, corporate services, communications, uh, student affairs, SRCs, unions. So training them, there was a lot of fear. The fear is still there and the fear is genuine. But the fear can only be removed through education. So we developed a curriculum, developed these protocols, developed these guidelines. We foresaw this problem coming and then we trained. And we trained college by college on the COVID-19 task teams. Once the COVID-19 task teams were established, then we started going the next step. And that was on-site training on campus-based steering committees. So decision-making bodies are not implementers. The implementers are the steering bodies that are in each campus. So this COVID-19 task team, for example, in a TVET college like um, like you can you can name a university or a college whose main campus says, say I'm going to pick up Ikuruleni West Tivet College. And Ikuruleni West Tivet College in Kempton Park has its main campus. 
So the main campus is where the principal or the CEO sits. So there is a COVID-19 task team that's making a decision for the college. But the college also has a campus in Germiston, a campus in um, in in in, um, in Tembisa. So those campuses are run by campus managers, and there we established called campus steering committees. And in those steering committees is where we started training on site um, around these guidelines. And then the implementation of physical distancing of classrooms, the new classroom look. And the other challenge we obviously had the biggest was if thousands of students are going to come and it's mandatory by regulation to screen um, COVID-19. How do we screen thousands of people coming every day? So we used the fourth industrial revolution, developed a technology, free USSD system. Even if you don't have a smartphone or any device you have at home, you can check your COVID-19 status every day. Um, you can do it via WhatsApp. You can do it via web form. The aim is you do it every day. And you do it every day. It takes two minutes of your life, but you get to know your status. Once you get a status known, you get a certificate. And that certificate is valid for 24 hours. And then you can show it at the gate and you can enter because you've already been screened uh, low risk to the COVID-19. So I think um, in a nutshell, uh, what I'm trying to explain is COVID-19 is a, is a multi-dimensional disease. It has both health impact, social and economic impact. And uh, we as a post-school education training system had to look at the multi-dimensional approach to the COVID-19. And I think that's what we have done. And that's what we exactly are moving around. Um, um, we are getting there. We have been monitoring with the minister and the deputy minister around the country, seeing whether what we have now put together, is it actually being implemented? And I'm very proud to say that uh, all our institutions are working extremely hard, giving their best shot. In fact, sometimes an epidemic unites the country. And I'm seeing that part happening, and I'm very proud of them. The reality is the COVID-19 will stay with us, and for much longer. It's not a short-term uh, plan by any standards. It's a long-term win. Um, the mountain is still to be climbed. So it's a, it's a, it's a tough journey, a lot of work for us. Um, but uh, what I'm saying is we've taken a good start, hoping that we continue the same rhythm. And undoubtedly, our students and staff will become positive. There is no doubt about it. Um, the disease will affect our campuses uh, as it affects the whole country. And the question is, how do we deal it maturely? Thank you. So how do we deal with it maturely becomes the key question. But in your answer, you mentioned the plight of mental health. And we know that on campuses, this is a massive, <laughs> massive issue. So some university students are back. So please tell us how these draft guidelines that you have spoken in depth about um, for post-school education and training institutions for management of and the response to mental health and substance abuse in relation to COVID-19. How does this draft specifically deal with those plights that is found on campuses, such as mental health and substance abuse? You know, um, our guidelines are very mindful um, of the real fact that what are the challenges that our 
students and staff will experience in the middle of the COVID-19 pandemic. Um, fear of um, losing a year. Most of our students come from very poor backgrounds. Uh, losing a year is not easy um, in their mind. Somebody's paying for the tuition. Um, they have to, they are hoping that they will be qualified to start making a living. Um, they have aspirations, they have ambitions. Some are fighting the most difficult situations to, to make those ambitions alive. And there's unbound freedom. There's that fear that the privilege will make it through, that this privilege will not be favored. There's also that fear of financial losses. Most of these people's parents, guardians are losing jobs. That's real in South Africa. So there's multi, multi-causative agents and stresses that will definitely uh, increase the risk of um, mental diseases and mental illnesses and also will lead to then substance abuse um, <clears throat> as the institutions of higher learning through the unbound freedom have shown um, a big um, for a big inclination towards an increased substance abuse. So these guidelines talks to the institutions around with protocols around what do we do uh, to assist a young life um, who's at the uh, bottom level uh, in our at the ground level at our campuses um, from all the stresses and the uh, pandemic of mental health that we know will increase drastically in these difficult situations. So we are looking at a four-pronged approach. The first approach is a prevention approach where awareness, education of mental health, uh, stigma reduction, uh, and generally accepting with the student community through a peer-to-peer program which we are very proud that we have a very built program. Remember, we have about 5,000 foot soldiers at every campus who are capacitated. And it's nothing better for a peer to learn from a peer um, because that can be a very effective tool when we engage in prevention around the mental health program and destigmatizing the mental health. The second approach will be the primary healthcare approach. Uh, we do have a very huge shortage of psychologists and social workers in our country, and even in post-school education. And we cannot uh, we, we cannot approach a tertiary system very quickly without putting a primary health system first. In the primary health system, we have a screening tool. Uh, we've got um, student counselors. We've got our own peer-to-peer networks who will... Uh, us screen thousands of our students entering into our campuses on mental health as a first line. Once you screen through a WHO tool of higher health, you actually know whether uh, you are actually high risk to mental health or you are in low or a moderate, moderate risk to mental health. Based on your risk profile to mental health, it can be in the form of a depression, anxiety, or other underlying mental health disorders. And then 
the second and tertiary system hit. The secondary system is now we are um, partnering with South African Depression Anxiety, and we're looking into a hotline where we can do on online counseling for students who will be referred through the network of primary health system. We've also trained about 200 nurses uh, within our system on, on mental health so that they can serve as a secondary line of engagement. And we've also now hired 10 extra psychologists in every province um, so that a more um, uh, strength of secondary level care that can be resolved through uh, a CBT, which is cognitive behavioral therapy, um, psychosocial counseling, um, engagement. And then the last is a tertiary level care where we have very difficult cases that are not managed through the secondary and primary system. And then we work on the network of a linkage to care with the psychiatry hospitals uh, across the country or mental health sites where the students and staff will get further care. So that's our four-pronged approach as we are moving from our guidelines into this COVID-19. A very well thought out approach and a very in-depth approach. And now further speaking to this approach that particularly tackles mental health, what role do institutions play in minimizing factors that could negatively impact on the mental health of students? Uh, if I hear your questions, you're asking what uh, advice we will give to our institutions to reduce the the most stresses of the mental health. Am I right? Yes, sir. No, I think the first first answer is uh, clear communication, uh, transparent and clear communication. That's been our policy from the first day. Uh, when these guidelines or protocols or engagement of COVID-19 come, be transparent, be open. Um, no, leave no student behind. So it's it's really about an institution to use their communication tools very well. Uh, we have been sending uh, SMSs regularly to 1 million students um, through our database. We've got a huge WhatsApp uh, communication campaign, social media campaign, Facebook. Um, communication is very critical because most of the fear comes from an unknown fear. And if you can remove that unknown fear. The second thing is communication needs to be supplemented by education. Um, each institution, my advice is put up a, a proper mechanism for peer-to-peer -peer or second curriculum of higher health, mental health program, so that um, institutions communicate and educate people. Half of the fear can go down if people get education, people understand the disease scientifically and know exactly how we can manage this disease. Because in reality, COVID-19, we might not have a treatment, but we know the prevention part. We know how the virus gets killed. A simple soap can kill a virus. A simple jig or a sunlight can kill the virus. So when we have some certain tools with us, how do we engage and educate our people about those tools? Um, the third thing is, regarding the academic year. I think um, institutions are doing very well, working hard towards finding mechanism, and so is the ministries. Something which is beyond my control because not my portfolio. But I would highly recommend that 
the institutions communicate their plans um, around the hashtag save the academic year to them. All this is in, in line to reduce anxieties, stresses, um, depression, and other kind of um, triggers that can lead into this uh, spread of the virus. Uh, sorry, the spread of the psychosocial problems through the virus. So the virus has definitely brought up more. And on the actual campuses, what advice would you give to people and students on the campus on identifying mental health problems as early as possible? And what interventions can be employed by the universities and colleges to ensure outside of what you've just mentioned? Follow the second curriculum of higher health. It's a proper curriculum, which has a full chapter on mental health and a full chapter on substance abuse. It's got other chapters of HIV, um, contraception on teenage pregnancies and unplanned pregnancies, disability, uh, students living with uh, students who are LGBTQI, um, how to destigmatize human rights issues. So we've got all these chapters, uh, gender-based violence. Uh, similarly, we've got for mental health. My aim is, uh, yes, 800,000 students go through that second curriculum. Uh, universities need to take that curriculum very seriously. They need to put this, uh, it's run through a peer-to-peer -peer platform. It's run in the more interactive out-of-the-classroom activities. Uh, that destigmatizes. It uh, educates students. It makes them understand the disease for mental health um, and pushes them to seek help. Um, they must also look at our screening tool for mental health. Each student, if they go through the screening tool, will introspect uh, where they are, uh, both with drugs and alcohol abuse, as well as their state of mind to mental health. And that will help uh, them to seek support earlier. Uh, chronic mental health is like HIV, diabetes, or uh, any chronic disease. The aim is to pick it up early. Because if you leave it for a bit of a late time, it causes complications and it's very difficult to revert back. So picking a disease early through prevention, through early um, implementation, it really makes a difference. Detecting it early really makes a difference. And with COVID yet, things are expected to heighten. But now the question is, are institutions of higher learning equipped enough to deal with the mental health crisis that will arise from studying and working during the pandemic? And are they equal in their ability to deal with this? We've got two South Africa in the same South Africa. <laughs> Something we've inherited since 1994. Um, it will take time for us to make the country equal. Now, you can't compare uh, a rural university like Walter Sisulu with WITS, uh, where almost all the students that are entering into university are NISFAS students or students from very poor backgrounds and fully dependent on the state, versus as somewhere in UCT, UP, or WITS, or Stellenbosch, you still have students from privileged backgrounds and stuff and university has more resources. So um, uh, the terrain is uneven, but the challenge is the same. It exists in across all campuses, across all universities. Uh, uh, it affects UCT in the same way as it affects Walter Sisulu. So 
the guidelines that we are talking about, the protocols, the algorithms applies to all of them. And each of them has to consider putting the same kind of um, infrastructural support uh, to deal with these issues. Um, but I would be not wrong to say, um, but I mean, I would be honest to say that unfortunately, there are two countries in the same country and we have to live with the realities of our inequalities, uh, but we have to manage it and we have to try to manage it through putting infrastructure and systems when it comes to health for all, uh, so that no student is left behind and everybody gets the same kind of support. There are two South Africans and one South Africa, and we need to make sure that no student is left behind. Very important messages that comes from that um, answer. And my second last question before we end off, Dr. Ramnik, is there's a number of students with, with already existing mental health conditions. And one would assume that these guidelines exist because there's an expectation that this number will rise. Do you agree with this assumption? Can we see a rise in mental health on campus during this time? Oh, definitely, yes. In fact, not only South, Af uh, South Africa, but the, the United Nations has alerted the entire world about it. Um, uh, COVID-19 cases will rise. That's an uh, inevitable reality. And psychosocial problems and mental health challenges surrounding uh, COVID-19 will also rise. So we need to live with this reality. We need to embrace it. That's why these proactive decisions of higher health uh, with the DHET to, towards putting uh, protocols and guidelines earlier, uh, alerting the institutions, putting the infrastructure with them, is all the means to see the global data, understand what the world is alerting us, and being ready for it. When you know you, have, you are in the middle of a war and, you're so, and your enemy is stronger, you need to get up more and more arms to fight it. We need to get up more arms to fight it. And in that spirit, Dr. Ramnik, what's the way forward? How do we build mental health promotion and prevention and care services within institutions of higher learning to preempt the future medical mental health crisis that you foresee? Exactly what I said in the past, uh, the four-pronged approach of our guidelines. A request to each institution to look at these guidelines of mental health. They have been written through a very esteemed uh, scientific review team of higher health, um, of course, supported by the Minister of Higher Education. Um, the team comprises of HODs of psychiatry and health department, um, of sorry, a mental health department in UCT, Stellenbosch, uh, Sefer Makatu, University of KwaZulu Natal. Um, uh, Department of Health, um, Department of Social Development, um, uh, uh, South African Depression, Anxiety, and various uh, mental health bodies in this in this country. Um, we have gone through a pilot. We've gone through systems preparing these guidelines. Uh, we've got a curriculum on mental health or prevention uh, that we we over eight hundred thousand South Africans go through it. The aim is that all 2.5 million must go through them. Um, education is prevention. Um, we have a screening tool with WHO that we have built for our students. You do your screenings on mental health regularly. You see where you at risk. And if you are at risk, then we put you in a primary to secondary to tertiary health 
system of which we have built within the infrastructure. So the aim is mental health is a chronic disease. It can become severe if not treated early. Mental health um, needs prevention. Mental health needs uh, uh, a full focus and a screening mechanisms. Uh, mental health needs um, uh, destigmatization because half of the time, due to the stigma attached to mental health, um, it limits us in the young life. And the problem is that these young lives are the future of our economy. And if we lose them, all this investment we are doing is is of no returns to us. So my plea and my last concluding words will always be that uh, as we have prioritized as post-school education, the country needs to prioritize and uh, our students need to prioritize, our academia needs to prioritize, our senates, councils, uh, everybody needs to acknowledge and uh, ensure that uh, mental health is taken absolutely seriously. And that is an important message from Dr. Ramnik, the CEO of Higher Health. And before I let you go, Dr. Ramnik, you spoke about phenomenal resources during this interview, such as the second curriculum, such as the mental health check. Please can you tell our listeners where can they find those phenomenal resources and get more involved with the work that Higher Health is doing? Every campus has um, a peer-to-peer run program. Um, which is supported by Higher Health. Um, you will find first things first branded T-shirts and Higher Health volunteers across your campuses. Some peer mentors, peer educators. And they're all trained and certified on curriculums. They engage classroom activities after the formal curriculum closes down. Participate in them, and once you do the second curriculum you also are uh, requested to do your screening there and then. So participate in mental health activities and not only mental health, but COVID-19, HIV, gender-based violence, sexual reproductive health, disability, LGBTQI, substance abuse, all the activities of second curriculum. And yeah, look after yourself, um, grow yourself, And yeah, nothing better for a country to achieve. This podcast was brought to you by Voice of Vids. By Voice of Vids. To hear more of our shows, tune in to 88.1. Or streams via www.varfm.co.za.